0: Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at ExplorationsEarlyLearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hello and welcome to Out of Line. Hi, Candace. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> we are lucky enough to be uh, joined by Ashley Jefferson again on our podcast this evening. Hi, Ashley. Hello. I'm back. Ashley runs <laughs> Playpan African, and uh, you can find her at Early Childhood Enthusiast on Instagram. Uh, you find her other accounts and and things there. Ashley joined us recently talking about an article about Montessori education that was featured in the New Yorker magazine. Um, and we wanted to dig in a little bit more on that and then continue the conversation about um, what came up in that first conversation was really the work that it takes to dig in as a grown up working with young people. Um, the real work, the, the bulk of the work, I think no matter how much training or education you receive, you've got to do a really deep dive into yourself and your inner child and how your inner child was treated in childhood, where you shined, where you were limited. Um, you know, and I think we mentioned in the last, um, episode we did about Montessori is that was part of Montessori's thing too, right? She started working in asylums and slums trying to really give kids an opportunity that they wouldn't have otherwise had. She also realized how hard it was to replicate because it comes down to the the grownups in the room, having a real shift away from a power and control narrative. Um, and I would say that's the number one thing, you know, in early childhood education and in the early elementary years too, we're not giving teachers a fair shot at taking care of themselves because they're so underpaid. They're so overworked. There's this martyrdom that's expected and, you know, perpetuated by teachers ourselves because it's, it's kind of why we're there, right? Like we want to love on the kids and we want to teach them things. And we all want to sing. I believe the children are the future, right? Like that's it for why most of us go into this business. But, um, it takes a deep dive into ourselves and that can't really be done in most conventional school settings as they are with the, you know, one to 25 to 30 kids in a classroom or the lack of resources, the lack of play, the lack of time, the pressure on scores and Testing, um, you know, the article mentioned Jeff Bezos giving a ton of money to start some new Montessori programs and just the very irony in that. Like, here's the richest man in America who attended uh, uh Montessori school himself and now he here he is. And um, the author of the article, I thought it hysterically linked teachers to the Amazon workers so that most of America sees us through the same lens. And they said, quote unquote, quote, invisible, essential, marginalized at the mercy of scores on whom everything depends and everything can be blamed. So that is the definition of both an Amazon factory worker and teachers these days, basically. Yeah. (laughs) awful and Candace and I just stepped out of um, traditional conventional schooling Um, I had you know been in early childhood a little bit longer so there's a little bit more freedom there but um, I think Candace and I both were just surprised at the bulk of the work these first two years of starting up an unschooling center to support homeschooling families in their self-directed journey is the work that it takes on our end would you say that's true candace
1: yeah i mean we basically have to be everything right so we're not just the directors of a school we're not just parent support we're not just the teacher facilitators we're all falling on us
0: yeah and ashley you alluded in our last episode to the fact that like it's such a nuanced art when you're good at it. And it's a gift that you have to be intuitive to the kids needs to be supportive in ways that it's hard to explain to somebody else. You can't just put it in a manual and hand it over and say, here, go do what I do. Yeah, no,
2: it's definitely difficult. I think it it is necessary though. If you are looking to do this and have it grow and have it sustain, you have to do it. You know um, I think even for me, I play the role of accountant, of teacher, of director, of parent liaison, like all all of that stuff. And uh, it gets to a point where um, if you want to have something that is offered for families for generations to come, you kind of do have to figure out a way to put systems in place eventually, whether you want to or not. It's just you know for your sanity for the sanity of the teachers because you're the teachers that you do trust that you do have in there they can't be there every day. There's a sick day or you know they're going to want to change their hours or someone has a baby. You know you're going to have to figure out a way to create something that does still remain intact with and in line with what you what your philosophy is and you can still trust. So it's definitely a process and it's something that I'm I'm constantly having to work at to better understand like what are the core values of what we're doing what's most important that we get done um how does the day need to be structured or unstructured what does that mean um because unstructured unstructured unschooling um what's the other one this it's not unschooling but it's like deschooling de- deschooling there's so many different you know layers to it and people have different feelings on it so how do you establish that? Say, this is what we do again. Like last um, episode, I had said that's still, it's still kind of like different from your philosophy because you want it to be whatever it's going to be based off of these children. So how do you convey that so that it still remains intact? You still need a system in place. So it's, it's, it's a balancing act for sure.
0: And it's based in, relationships, right? So it's going to look different from day to day and it's going to look different from person to person. Um Candace and I have a couple of facilitators who are much younger than us and we know that the young people that we work with see them totally differently than they see us. They see us more like a parent figure to them, very similar in age to a lot of the parents in our programs, um where the young 20-somethings provide something totally different that I right. just can't. <laughs>
2: I got to a point where I realized I was about the same age, and I'm not used to that as the parents. Like, you know, I've been doing it for so long, I was always the young one. And mm-hmm. then, I, not that I'm old now, but like now, I am the same age and I'm like, this is not, this is different for me. <laughs> so it's wild to see that just it's, happen. As you it's a funny so thing. You and it. you like
0: start questioning your voice again too. Like I remember being like going from the young teacher who didn't have kids and people like, well, do you have kids yet? You know, that was always the yes. question. And you're like, you could still be a good teacher without kids.
1: Right. And now right. I'm like
0: becoming, I'm slowly getting older than our parents too. And I'm like, hmm, you're yes. becoming
1: <laughs> the old <laughs> the wise
0: one. I'm not sure how <laughs> yeah. I feel about that. Right, right. So uh,
2: Like, and so then it's so much harder. Your your children are were in the program, right?
0: My kids are not in the program right now. Candace's oh. son. Um, well, they were at some point. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were here last so year. So
2: even that is a whole other beast because you know I've is from even when I was pregnant, I was doing like parenting me classes so my son has just always been used to being at the center like literally in my stomach (laughs) and then when he was out like I think I went back into doing parenting me classes and music and movement classes when he was a baby so he's just always been the center of attention even though they're looking at me he's there with me so now it's like he doesn't bend the rules, but just that dynamic where he knows okay, my mother is the teacher mm-hmm. here. So, you know what I mean? And balancing that, you know, there, there's good and bad parts to that too, but just from the standpoint of like, they act differently children always act differently with their parents especially with their mothers and so the tantrums are bigger and it's like parents are coming in and I'm like he doesn't always do this guys and this is not you know what I mean so it's just totally. funny and you're that. worried like, are they it's... judging my educational oh, so abilities really? based on my parenting moment man, his thing now he makes booty jokes like that's all he's been saying and I'm like we don't <laughs> i don't know i'm not teaching them about booties but <laughs> that's all he does right now so it's, it's it's just funny like there's it's so personal with doing this type of program and you know having your actual children there because they're watching parents are watching they might not be judging they might be judging i don't know they're <laughs> going back and forth. but still it's just funny but then there's that side of it too and then even from you know we've talked about on countless occasions like Are they getting the time that they need, Mm -hmm. you know, because even though they're with you, my son is with me. He's not with me. He's next to me. He's experiencing that. But is he getting the mommy time that he needs? I know I can be super hard on myself because, again, I know what kind of mother like I wanted to be, what kind of um, facilitator and teacher that I wanted to be for him. Am I am I doing that end of it, too? Even though I want to continue with this program um, and I want him to be part of it, I created it for him (laughs) because I didn't see anything else like it. So this is literally I I created it in the created it in the way that it would be something that I would send him to if I had not been um, homeschooling him. But that's hard to navigate when you're running the program and you're also having your children there and you want to make sure you're speaking to that. It's a whole different beast that I, I think People like us need to talk about more because it's hard it's hard to do it's really hard to do
0: so hard and some people can do it depending on the kid and the parent and whoever they are it, it can be a little bit easier but um yeah I mean Candace did did you identify with any of that <laughs> having our three kids at school with us yeah, three and- oh man I can't imagine <laughs> I mean, and just even like at the end of the day, when when it was finally time for us to leave, often our kids were dictating, no. Like they were like, no, we can't leave yet. We're not done with this or this. And we're like, oh my God. Right. Right. But it was also their only way of asserting some control over their day and reminding us who's in charge between us and them. And right, right.
1: um,
0: When I start, the first year I had my, my oldest is now seven. The first year I had him in a program with me was, uh, a preschool program where I was more the assistant teacher. And I took it because I just had a cross-country move. I just had our second baby, but I also needed to get out of the house. I wanted to be connected professionally. And I was like, great, I'll take this assistant teaching position where I can just go and come and I'm not planning and I'm not doing any of the extra. Um, and, Midway, I think February that year, my son joined our program because, you know, also being an early childhood teacher, having two kids in childcare where you're paying doesn't usually pencil out. And so no. we worked out a deal <laughs> and I was able to have my preschooler come to preschool. And he is like the sweetest, most mild mannered, quiet, timid kid out there. And at that point, that's all I knew of him. And, um, you know, he would only be chatty around me, he was really quiet and other. Aspects and places. And he came, and I'd be like reading a book to the class at circle time, and he would just stand. Right in front of me, so no one else could see the book.
2: Man, John does that too. I'm like, dude, I, or I'd be like,
0: line up, and he'd like all of a sudden like get aggressively like looking at someone in a intimidating way, and I'm like, what is happening? But it didn't occur to me that like for the first time in his life, he was going to see me as a teacher because he had worked, right. he had been in childcare centers when I was the director and earlier in life, but like he didn't see me giving my time and attention to other kids in the way he did in that role. And it was like horrifying for me to see in that way. And like, I don't know why I didn't think of it. I should have thought of it, but
2: it's different. It's even harder when they're that age, because, you know, now my son's more vocal about things, but they still haven't learned how to pinpoint what exactly they're feeling and why they're feeling it. So a lot of the times the acting out or whatever that may be, they can't, they're, they're just upset and you really have to do the work in understanding, okay, where is this coming from? So it's an added layer of mm-hmm. all the things that you stand for. But it's like, what, what's really going on here? And how do I fix that? How do I help him get through that? Um, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Um, I definitely want to do that. Usually he'll he would lay down and then just put his foot in my face. As I was reading stories. <laughs> so I, sometimes he'd stand in front of me, but it's usually just the foot just on my face. Just to claim oh. his
0: space a little bit. <laughs> just to <claim> his face. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about with the trust thing, whether it's trust with the families that you're serving trust with the facilitators you're working with trust among the kids. Like, trust takes time to build and really authentic, like trusting relationships take years to build. And Uh we don't often have that time in a schoolish setting. And so um, even like for Candace having her son in the programming, I I'm trying to establish myself as another person he can turn to, but that relationship is going to take time to establish. And so of course he's going to run to her first still. And I'm gonna be there as a secondary support. And um, you know, there are definitely days where if Candace is outside, he's like, Go get my mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny.
2: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, there's another teacher there. She but she's my best friend, so um he's kind of grown with her. So I think we have a little bit more flexibility. Like he he definitely goes to her for certain things that he knows that I'll say no to. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's kind of the dynamic that we have here. But I totally get that. It's it's hard, man.
0: Well, and I know we have um we're part of the Agile Learning Center Network, our um, our program. And there are different opinions in that. Candace, you were just sharing with me some of that about, you know, even parents as volunteers. And we see it sometimes with our own um parents when they come in to volunteer
1: yeah a lot of the ALC or a few of the ALCs that we got some feedback from say that they do not allow parents to volunteer and I totally understand that After a couple of years I feel like yeah I mean like Andy was saying it takes a while to build up trust and trusting relationships with families but then the kids are totally different when they're in, in the school
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you are saying a lot of them don't allow parents to volunteer. Um, no. And that part of that too, like we have a lot of families who are still new to unschooling and are shedding the expectations they hold for their kids. And I think that's really hard to do in a social setting or an academic setting when you want to see your kid, you know, even if you're like, Oh, I'm going to unschool. I think most families are like, Looking for their kid to come in and want to sit down and read a book and then do some math and then they go outside for a while or whatever you know your program can look like, but um, they want to see their kid doing certain things or having some sort of expectation. Um, and that's the nice thing about working with kids when we're not their parents, we don't have the expectations for them or you know, some right. some level of you know, some high standard to hold them to. Uh, but as soon as a, a parent can come in the space, that, that dynamic can shift really drastically. I think being in the field and having your own kid, and Ashley, you clearly have had your child with you from the beginning. Like, so that becomes part of his experience. And that's just like part of it. And that's where we are with our kids. You know, they came in as three year olds, we opened as a childcare so that they could be there with us. And, um, And that was new to them. That was a shift to see what mom does for a living and how am I fitting into this puzzle is very different than, you know, being dropped off somewhere for somebody else to take care of you. And you just, your mom goes to work and you don't know what she's doing.
1: Uh It's uh wild,
0: Um, but we have figured out how to hold those relationships and also set aside the expectations, right? Like that's, that's what we're trying to create for all of these children. So we've had to do that deeper work. Of finding our inner child and healing that and moving forward because, because that's what it comes down to. I mean, I think like so many of the control issues in schoolish settings come down to the fact that like, I, I remember playing school as like a, you know, as a kid, when you played, when I played school, I was mean and I was like, sit down yeah be quiet. That's true and, and we all kind yeah. of have that like very want, want, want Charlie Brown teacher voice in our head <laughs> but, as far as like what we think of right, teachers yeah. even if you didn't have that experience yourself, we've been programmed through the things we watch and read and anything we're consuming. Candace has said it before on the show, like school is, is the basis to almost all of society and almost everyone in our society has gone through school. So it's so pervasive into our brains of that kind of teacher I'm in control mentality.
2: Absolutely. And it's wild. Totally, totally wild. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I don't know. I've, I, the longer that I do this, just this, this concept of school is just changed shape. And and, and I, I say this a lot, but like thinking about the pandemic, um, the last few years, and really where people have had the opportunity to reevaluate how they live <laughs> um, and how they do things, what's important to them. Um, there were scary, scary times for people, so many different emotions. And knowing that, um, I came on the other side of it of saying, you know, you can literally create the life that you want because some things that we thought were going to matter did not matter anymore. Um some things that we didn't realize were so important, it's super important. And my family mission is important. Um my little mission statement for my family is important um my time that i have with my son um and you know my extended family members is really important to me and i did not want to have that be a space even within the school program that we have the learning collective whatever you want to call it um but i did not want it to be a space where it felt like we were missing those moments those key components um We went through a lot. I think we closed down for like two weeks, but we were right back open. And it was important to us to create a space where this felt like family, where the children felt safe. And if we don't have that in whatever program, um, you know, whatever program that you have, if that's missing, I feel like, not that you're not doing it right, but there, there are a lot of opportunities that are missed for children, for the teachers. And I honestly don't know how, what it would have looked like if we had done it any other way. I can honestly say that I feel like we got through these last few years beautifully. Um, We didn't miss a beat. (laughs) The children were happy. We were, you know, we just, we just kept moving. And I think that was really important to us. So I hope that (laughs) their playtime teaching experience does not look like that. (laughs) But like you said, there's all sorts of, um, other mediums where they can hear it from, but definitely for us, I, I tried to make it a space where they all felt like cousins and we were kind of their aunts. and this is a family and we just also learn here too.
0: So, yeah. And that's, that's such a huge piece of it that I've been processing through on a professional level. Like I think, um, the, the, pandemic was interesting because so many people didn't know what to do with their children at home suddenly and didn't know how to spend time that much time. I mean, a lot of it was because parents, a lot of parents were still expected to be working or they suddenly had a void of not working and they didn't know how to fill it themselves because we don't know how to self direct ourselves. Most of Mm -hmm. us, every minute of our life from age five to age 18 or beyond is, is scheduled for us. So how do we know how to find our interests? And, and I mean, right. Like alcohol sales spiked significantly at the start of the pandemic. And now they're the lowest they've been in years. And people are like settling into like, okay, I got to figure out how to live my life with some leisure activity and, and figuring this out how to be with my kids without you know, them being directed every second of every day. And that's, that's tricky. But I, but I'm also at the point. So this concept of setting things up like a family, like how many companies say that? Like we're a family here, but then the next day they'll fire you. Right. But like, how do you (laughs) actually still love in your program? Or, you know, uh, Carol Garbon and Murray has been talking a lot about professional love and she wrote an article recently. Um, And then today I saw a a well-known edu influencer, on, I don't know, Twitter, Instagram, somewhere saying like, when kids are sent to school for love and they're like, well, we're not, that's a, that's a saviorism kind of mentality. We need to get away from as teachers. We're not there to be the ones who love them. They've get, they've get that at home. We can't assume kids are coming in with a deficit. And I kind of understand where they were going with that, but also like, no, no, we need to love the kids first and then well- worry about whatever standards we have to hit from there. Just because you have love at home doesn't mean you don't need love everywhere else you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like and how <laughs> how come love and education can't be intertwined?
2: Yes, it, it, it's, it's showing it's about being compassionate. It's about showing empathy. Those are all basic things that humans need to survive. That's literally the, the fabric of our be- being. It's why we strive for things. It's, you know, um, thinking of, when we talk about revolutionizing things, like you have to remember the good memories, remember the good parts, because those are the things that you say that's worth fighting for.
1: Mm -hmm. So...
2: It, it needs to be everywhere. I don't care if you get it at home, you're going to get it here too because you need it here too. Like I'm with these children for eight to 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have loving families, but they need to experience that there too. You're constantly with them. You need to be that space as well. I think that's a really odd thing to say. And kind of <laughs> well, scary. It, doesn't,
0: it doesn't turn off at a certain <laughs> age either. I think like we think of right. the love and care being needed you know up till age 5 and then we get serious and it's it's about learning when you come to We school. go
2: to work okay. and we still need to feel appreciated in our adult relationships we need to feel appreciated like there fi- we we have books literally for adults talking about the love languages like I'm telling you if people went to therapy and addressed this stuff they'd realize that the work needs to be done when they're children and then we most likely we wouldn't have to do as heavy a load as we do when we're adults. Like we, we I don't know. It's the strangest thing to me. Dismiss that. I'm <laughs> not, not, I'm not, I'm not claiming that when these children come, they're, they're getting a space of love and compassion and we're listening to them and we care about them um, just because I, I like being a decent human being. So that's, that's pretty much it. I do that with adults too not just children anybody who comes into my space I try to be a decent loving human being
1: I think they're talking to you're a more effective teacher if you can not worry about it but I, you it's so hard to learn from someone that you are not connected to and if you don't have a connection with a person loved by that person or you um,
0: yeah. It's really hard to learn from someone when you don't feel the connection.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, And I always
2: think of it. I think that's one of the benefits of having my child there. Um, because I see it firsthand. Like I, I think about that all the time. If he was somewhere else, how would he want to be treated? Mm-hmm. So I try to, from carry that with me and that the again I had this thought today where I was like these parents really trust me and I'm so thankful for it because I know for me that it is very hard to do that with other people um Mm -hmm. with my son so I don't take that for granted by any means and so they are they I did not give birth to them but I call them my babies all the time um I give them hugs all the time we talk all the time we you know it's just part of it it's the cultural part of you know I think um it's no mistake that like Mother's Day and um the teacher appreciation week and nursing week those they're all around like May around that same time because they're all spaces of caregiving and so that's just part of it you're creating a community which is built on things like trust as you said before um and love and if you don't have that in the space it's just it's it's kind of empty. So um, I, I, like I said, I I don't understand that at all. I think there's a space for it. I think we do need to extend more love to people. I think there's, I don't think you can really shut that off. And I think if you're moving that way, I think that kind of speaks to your character. I think that's kind of an unsafe space to be um, that might be stretching it, but I, I just think that that everybody needs love no matter where they're going. So
0: well, and exactly. And it doesn't have to be an early childhood thing. It can be an all through education thing, right? Like we have to, um, and, and I think part of that too is the systems in place, right? Like you get a new class every year, if you don't love a kid, or in fact, if you have a kid who just, you know, as Dan Hodgen says, takes you to the end of your rope, some of us just Grit our teeth and bear it to get through that school year. But if you're in an early childhood setting or a Montessori setting where they're looping with you for a few years, or an ALC Agile Learning Center setting where we're it, they're they're going to come with us as long as they're homeschooling and seeking support, um, you know, enrichment opportunities for socialization and academics. They're with us for hopefully right. their lifetime, and I love that. Like I have to dig deeper for the kids that I find more challenging because they're with me and I, it's my responsibility to find that love and to find, you know, that level of self-care is not enough at at this point with education and stuff. We have to look at community care and how are we caring for ourselves, our families, our coworkers, and the kids in our care Um, and care and love and learning are all just, they're all woven together. You can't really separate them out. No, you can't. And I think,
2: you know, maybe, thinking about different kinds of love too might be helpful for people um, in understanding how love is so intertwined with, again, compassion and empathy and um, just really being communicative with children and listening. Um, All of that is wrapped in. And when you remove that, you can't get half of that stuff done. So.
0: Yeah, and the article I referenced earlier, Car- Carol Garbutt and Murray wrote an article called "Professional Love," and that was for Exchange Magazine, um, the journal for childcare. Um, so we can share that out too. It's worth worth a read to kind of think about and reflect on what is professional love versus, you know, just love. Uh, But yeah, well, thank you, Ashley, for joining us again for another conversation. I'm sure we could talk for hours and we are going to have you back as often as you'll come. Absolutely. Um, We had fun tonight. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. And you you can find us at living out of line um, on Instagram. Our podcasts come out on Tuesdays at playvolutionhq.com, where you will also get 10% off of any kind of training or workshop with the code OOL. Find Ashley at early childhood enthusiast on Instagram. That's where she posts the meat of her content and you can find her other accounts from there. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.